0: You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning, church. Uh, You guys should have gotten one of these handouts. If anybody didn't, I'm going to just place a few of them over here. If you came in late and uh, you can grab one, you don't need it. Necessarily during the service, but they'll be helpful uh, afterwards. So, we're uh, kicking off a new series uh, today in the book of Genesis, and we've been slowly working through the book of Genesis over about a year period. Genesis, you know, with 50 chapters uh, and a lot of narrative, it can kind of drone on after a while, so we decided to kind of break it up. And so, we're doing a little bit of Genesis, then going doing an epistle, a little bit of Genesis. Uh, going back and forth. So, the first series we did was back in the fall. Uh, it was Genesis 1 through 12, and we called it Science or Story. Then, at the beginning of the year, we picked up with the second part of Genesis. We looked at the life of Abraham, chapters 12 through 24. We're calling it the promise. And then today, or uh, over, actually over the next eight weeks, we're going to be wrapping up the book of Genesis. So, we're taking a larger chunk here, chapters 24 through 50. And we're calling it Wrestling with Reconciliation. Uh, This section of Genesis is packed with some of the most detailed narrative that you will read in all of the Bible. And so we want to be true, we want to be good biblical scholars in understanding that narrative. And So it's going to take some intentionality on our part as we read through it. Uh, And this section of narrative is not uh, randomly written. Uh, it has an actual really creative literary structure to it. Uh, if you guys will remember back to the faith series that we just did, I had a message called The Story of God. And and in that, I kind of laid out a framework for you guys of all really good stories. They have inciting incidents, and there's a really good plot in the setting. There's turning points inside of the story. There's always a a big conflict that happens at some point. Uh, Then there's a resolution, and ultimately there's a climax. And so we will kind of walk through how God had divinely authored the meta-narrative of the Bible inside of this really creative framework, right? Well, in this section of Genesis, that same framework is actually used over and over again by the author. And so you have these really great stories, but you have, to, you have to really pay attention to the stories. You have to really look into them to get the meaning. So on your piece of paper that I handed out to you guys, uh, I just talked a little bit about the narrative form of Genesis, and uh, we've got a graph that you, you can see on that piece of paper. And all this is, these are just tools uh, that I wanted to give you guys to, to help read through this section. So, um, to understand the, the biblical narrative and its form, you know it's crucial. Like any any good story, you got to understand the plot line of the narrative. And so, to understand the plot line, you just have to ask some simple questions as you're reading the book of Genesis. Like, what is the conflict of this story, and how is it resolved? You know, all good narratives that have a good plot to follow, are going to have a setting for the story, some preliminary incidents, an incident that generates conflict. There's going to be a building of tension until it reaches a climax. And then there's going to be this turn in the narrative that's going to start to bring about resolution. Then you'll see full resolution outcomes, and even in some of the stories, a, uh, a conclusion. Uh, so what I'm inviting you guys to do is try, if you can, to not show up on a Sunday before reading through the narrative. Because we, in in generosity, are not going to teach through 24 chapters of narrative. You know, even the story today is 67 verses. And I know you guys would love for me not to read 67 verses of narrative. But in order to do that, we're going to have to read ahead of time. So kids... We're going to try as best we can to read ahead of time. So I've given you guys a little reading plan that I want you to do before you come. Uh, I know that we're not prepared today uh, for the first one, but it's only one chapter, chapter uh, 24. Uh, so we can go back and pick that one up. So, so a couple of things I want you guys to do. Uh, do the reading plan if, uh, before we come on a Sunday each week. Uh, use that narrative structure that I gave you in that handout to just kind of give you a little bit of a, of a, of a way to read the book of Genesis. And then at the bottom of the piece of paper, I've given you guys, or we, the elders, have given you guys three or four small group questions. Uh, Typically what we do in each message is after after the message is over, we try to write some small group questions unique to the message, and we'll send it out to you guys. But what we're going to try to do during this series is I'm going to give you guys the same four questions every single week. It's going to take a little more work. But I believe you guys can take those four questions, read the text, analyze it, and then when you show up to home community, um, please show up willing to uh, participate and not to spectate, right? That's, that's really what we want. We want to take God's Word, we want to apply it, uh, and then we want to, uh, want to discuss it. So today, we're going to be looking at the story of Isaac and how he meets Rebecca. It's a really well-known story, uh, and I personally get a lot of pleasure out of hearing stories of how people met. And the reason, uh, once I meet a new couple, I'll say, hey, how did you, you two guys meet? The reason I like to ask that question is because it's completely random, right? I mean, there is no rhyme or reason how two people wind up coming together. Uh, take me and Jamie, for example. We have a picture here. Uh, Jamie and I met uh, because we were both, uh, is that funny? Somebody saw that, Brandon saw that this morning, and he goes, What happened? I'm like, Thanks, Brandon. Just wait, buddy. Just wait. Uh, so we met uh, at the beginning of college. Um, we both, it was around the holidays, and we were looking for seasonal work uh, as college students. So we went to the local mall and applied at the same uh, retail store, American Eagle, uh, if it even exists anymore. Um, and and we uh, she, we were both working there, and we both found out we were Christians. And uh, our first date was going and seeing the Johnny Depp version of Sleepy Hollow. If you guys remember that, in December of 1999, uh, so almost almost 19 years ago. Uh, so you know, just kind of random coincidence. We just met. We we went out, and as I say, you know, the rest with history. So here's what I want you guys to do, real quick. A um, little bit of of a, a audience participation. Uh, If you have somebody sitting around you, especially if you have a couple sitting around you, I want you to turn to that couple, and I want you to ask them how they met real quick. And and if you have somebody around them, just kind of share a little bit. Turn to each other. Ask how you met. And then uh, I'm going to use it as a point of application. So when your mark, is set. Go. Okay. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm assuming that... You probably heard a wide variety of stories right then and there. There really wasn't any rhyme or reason to most of us meeting. It could have been, oh, we, you know, we met at work, we met at school, we met in church, we met in a bar, uh, it was a friend of a friend, it was online dating. I mean, there truly is no rhyme or reason of why uh, most people come together, except for the fact that as Christians, we don't believe in chance. And as Christians, we don't believe in fate. We believe in God's divine providence in all of our relationships. So then there is a rhyme or a reason to it. God, before you were born, chose and he he orchestrated certain people to come into your life at a certain point in time. So there's a security that the believer has of God's sovereignty, not just in the people that you meet in your life, But also in the circumstances that you're going to face. And particularly the challenges and the conflicts that you are going to face with these people. See, the the book, book of Genesis is the same way. I mean, it was written by Moses to the people of Israel to help them understand how they got to where they are going into the promised land. But much more than that, it was a, a story divinely authored by God. So all the things that are happening in these stories that we're going to read, and, and I'll be honest with you guys, this section of Genesis is incredibly messy. If you haven't read this section of Genesis, there's a few sections that we cannot teach in here because we have nine-year-olds in the room. I mean, it, it's that dysfunctional. It's like Jerry Springer couldn't make this stuff up, dysfunctional, right, in the book of Genesis, so when we look at that and we read that and we read all of what God's going, doing in the passage, we can also see God sovereignly working in our own life and instead of all the mess, instead of all the dysfunction. Um, we want to spend just a little bit of time here over the next eight weeks and just talk about conflict, talk about relationships. It's been since, I think, in 2015 was the last time we did a a relational series in Resolving Everyday Conflict. So I think it's about time for us to to, to talk about this again. So the first story that we're going to be looking at today is a story of how Isaac um, meets Rebecca. Now, when our story left off in the Promise series, uh, Abraham, in his greatest demonstration of faith, was willing to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice, in response to that, look at what God says here in Genesis chapter 22, 16 through 18. He says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So that kind of wraps up the narrative of chapter 22. Well, then what we see in chapter 23 of Genesis is the death of Sarah and her burial. But there's actually an event that becomes the inciting incident of the story that we're going to get into today. And the inciting incident in the story is Sarah's tent being empty, okay? Sarah dies. Her tent is empty. Abraham's old. Isaac's 40 years old. He no longer has his mother. There's this promise to be a blessing to all the earth. So that means that Isaac needs a wife. So Sarah's tent being empty and then Sarah's tent being full is going to sandwich this story. It's the the two incidents that bring a beginning and a closure to the story. So then in our passage today in chapter 24, like I said, Abraham is old, but he's experienced the promised blessing. God has been very faithful to him. His descendants are going to bless the world. He needs to find a wife for Abraham. One of the things that we find out in chapter 22 in Genesis is this little little point that you would read and you wouldn't think a whole lot about it. Right toward the end of chapter 2, after the blessing, it says that Abraham finds out that his brother Nahor, in his hometown, has, has 12 kids, okay? Well, Abraham's old at this point. I mean, he's 130, 140 years old. So you would imagine his brother's pretty old. And if his brother has 12 kids, that means he probably has like 30 grandkids and they probably have like 50 great grandkids, right? So there's this large family. His brother's been very prosperous. So Abraham learns that his brother has all of these kids. And so Abraham, in our story today, is going to send his trusted servant to go to his family and to find a wife for Isaac. Now God has commanded Abraham that he's going to make a great nation out of him, and that nation is, is going to be dependent. That blessing is going to be dependent of him not intermingling, intermixing with the Canaanites. So he can't just go and find a wife for Isaac. He's got to go back to his hometown to one of his people to find a wife for his son. Now I know here in the states this idea of a, of a parent finding a child for a spouse is kind of weird, right? It, it doesn't really resonate with our, our American culture. But when you inter- interact with cultures around the world, the, the, the idea of parents helping a kid find a spouse, and parents even having a large say in finding a spouse, is still very popular today all over the world in many, many cultures. I was even doing some research this week, and I was fascinated to find out that there's actually a growing number of online dating sites for parents to find spouses for their kids. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this or or were aware of this. So it makes sense if if online dating is so successful here in the U.S., and then in cultures where the parents choose or have a big choice, then they've started developing these sites. So take South Korea, for example. South Korea has a site called Duo. About 80% of its clients are parents just searching for a spouse for their kids. So they go in, son looking for daughter, and then they can place in all the different um, qualifications, things they're looking for. They can write little bios about their kid and brag about their kid. The, either other parents go on the site and like read the parents' descriptions, or even the spouses, or the potential spouses, can go on and, and read all about it. So this is a, a growing trend. Uh, a lot of the online dating sites... Uh, even here in the U.S. are starting to offer this option for parents. For a, if you want to start one, you can give your parents access to it. Uh, I even found a site here in the U.S. that was for Jewish moms. Uh, for them to get together and to find, for any of you with a Jewish background, that's funnier than the rest of us, but uh, for, to go and find a spouse for your child. Now, the funny thing about this is, like the American side of me says, what type of a woman would want a man whose mommy filled out his profile right i mean there's that side of me that's like how how, this is not a good start to your relationship but then the parent side of me says this is a really good idea right (laughs) like i think i know my children better than anybody else does i would love to pick out a spouse for my child and get to filter them and all this stuff so girls look out that's right it's coming it's coming But Abraham did not have that luxury, right? Uh, It would have been pretty awesome if he did, though. He could have gone online. You know, he could have chosen looking for spouse for my son. Needs to be beautiful, hardworking, loves children, adventurous, non-Hittite, blood relative, you know, stuff like that. But he didn't have that. So instead, what Abraham does is he sends his oldest trusted servant to go and find a wife. For his son. So let's look at it here Genesis 24, 2 through 9. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, Take to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to, and, and swore to him concerning this, this matter. So Abraham, in an act of obedience and faith to God, does not take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites. But he tells his trusted servant to go to this, this land to find a wife. Now, the servant loads up all types of precious goods, clothes and gold. He brings the camels. There's a sign of wealth. And he goes on a 400-mile journey to find a wife for Isaac. And when he gets to the town of Nahor, which is possibly named after Abraham's brother, Nahor, he goes to the town, and he does the most bizarre thing. He doesn't go to Nahor's family. He doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't go to to the city and start to mingle with the locals. He goes to a well, and he sits down, and he prays, okay? Here's his prayer here in Genesis 24, 12 through 14. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. For this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. I'll be honest with you guys. This sounds like a horrible plan. Really, I mean, think about it. The, the plan is I'm going to sit down and the first woman that just comes in, if she's willing to give me water and water the camels, then that's going to be the one that you've chosen. You know, when I read that, I was like, Abraham should have been more specific with the servant on the right way to go about doing this. So then what's going on in the story here? I mean, what, what's God doing here? What's, what's, our, what's our author Moses doing here? We have to remember, who's the original audience? It's not us. It's the people of Israel. I mean, most commentators believe that Moses wrote uh, or or wrote the book of Genesis after the law had been given on Mount Sinai, but as the people were journeying into the promised land. And so it's not only meant to just give them a, a historical lineage of how they got to where they are today, but it's to recount the faithfulness of God right? So the people are journeying, they're following God, cloud in the sky, they're going to this place, and Moses is really building up their faith of saying, remember where we have been. Is God not faithful? Can he do things that you may not understand how it's going to work out? Ways that we would not have done it, this may be exactly how God is working. He's building their faith as they journey with God remember what Abraham said to his servant. He said, I'm going to send, I'm going to pray that God will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son there. So the servant here is acting in great faith that the Lord is going to provide. Well, this also generates the first of four conflicts that you see in the story. The first conflict is a a pretty obvious one. Will he be able to find a suitable young woman? The second conflict if he does find this young woman, will her family be willing to let her leave to go marry a stranger in a faraway land? The third conflict, will she even go? And will she embrace Isaac? And then the fourth conflict in the story, will Isaac accept this new wife to be his bride? So as the story goes, it's actually actually pretty cool. The the servant, he prays his prayer to God, his head's bowed, he's sitting beside the well, and he looks up, and there's Rebecca. And he says she's beautiful, and she's heading to, to the well. So he runs up to Rebecca, and he asks her, will you give me some water to drink out of your jug? And she says, well, well, yes, I will. And by the way, let me go and get water for your camels. And so it says that she hurries, and she goes and, and gets the water for, this, for, her, for the camels. And so you can imagine the, the servant's excitement, right? The, God is, is answering the prayer that he just played right then and there. But it hasn't been fully answered yet, has it? Because he needs to find out one last detail. Is she a member of Abraham's family? And so he, he goes to his bag and he gets out the gold. And I would imagine he kind of puts it behind his back. And so he's kind of standing there watching her. And he asks her a question. And he says, um, "You know, whose, whose daughter are you? And uh, is, is there room for, for us to stay in the house? And so she tells him that she is the great-granddaughter of Abraham's brother Nahor. Well, as you can imagine, this, rel- this uh, realization, revelation, causes him to, to burst out and to worship bef- before the Lord. Look what he says here in Genesis 24, 27. He gets down and he says, Bless be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinmen. The servant asked the Lord to show steadfast love, and the Lord showed covenant faithfulness. The Lord is continuing to answer his promises to Abraham. So the next hurdle to overcome is going to be, will Rebecca's family actually let her leave? So Rebecca, she runs back to her house. She tells her family all of what's just happened. And her oldest brother, and apparently a greedy man, runs, when he finds out, he sees the gold that she's wearing. He finds out there's this guy here with camels. He runs back to the servant. He says, come, 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 come to our house. Come and and have a meal. So the servant gets to the house. And they're about to sit down to a meal, and he says, before we do anything else, I just need to recount to you guys what God just did. So then in the narrative, it goes through great detail that we will not read, recounting all of the events that just happened. God's faithfulness, the conversation with Abraham, the well, Rebecca, the whole thing. And then after he recounts it all, there's this clincher line in verse 49. He says, Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Dun, dun, dun. You know, it's a point in the story what's going to happen. Well, look at their response here. Genesis 24, 50. Then Laban, the older brother, and Bethuel, her father, um, answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So, yes, you know, the, the second conflict has been overcome. The family is allowing her to leave. But then there's the turn in the story, right? The next morning, they get ready to leave, and the family says, can we have 10 more days with her? This is, this is happening so suddenly. And really, we don't know all that's going on here. Maybe they're trying to get more money out of them. Maybe they're trying to get more possessions, Maybe they're going to try to do a little switcheroo like happens a lot in the Bible and give them another daughter instead. But he says, please do not delay what the Lord is doing here. I want to get back and tell my master. And so they say, okay, how about this? We'll let Rebecca choose for herself. Which shows they're very hesitant to let her go. So they bring Rebecca before them and they say, Rebecca, we're going to give you the choice. Will you go with this man? And Rebecca, in an amazing amount of faith says, simply, I will go. I will go 400 miles to a man I have never met. I will marry him. Takes a lot of faith and trust in God. Now we come to the final conflict of the story. Will Isaac accept Rebecca? So the scene opens. It's actually a, a pretty romantic scene when you read it. It's evening time. Isaac's wandered out into the field The sun is setting and here comes the caravan and it says that Isaac lifted up his eyes and he saw Rebekah. And then it says that Rebekah lifts up her eyes and she sees Isaac and she says, who is that man? (laughs) Walking in the field to meet us. And the servant says, that's my master's son, Isaac, who you're going to marry. So Rebekah veils herself as a custom To the times. When they meet, the servant recounts the story in great detail again of all that God had done. And then it says that the servant, uh, they come to the house, Isaac takes Rebekah into the tent of his mother, and she becomes his wife. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. (laughs) Now, Israel would have read this story and they would have known that their very existence was dependent on these different choices that were made during the story. I mean think about them reading this story. If if Isaac had married a Canaanite princess, there would have been no Israel, right? If God had not guided the servant to Rebekah, there would have been no Israel. If Rebekah had refused to go, there would have been no Israel. But God gently and sovereignly worked just through human deliberation and all of these different stories to bring about his good and perfect will for the plan of Israel. Now we know now, looking back on the story, that God had a much greater plan than Isaac just meeting Rebekah. He had a much greater plan than creating a nation. He had a plan to bring about his son into the world. Many centuries later, an angel is going to show up to another young woman. The angel Gabriel, sent by God, is going to go to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. He's going to go to a virgin, and he's going to tell her that she shall conceive a son. And his name will be Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will have no end. And just as Rebecca says, I will go, Mary says, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And it's through Jesus that God would ultimately fulfill his promise to Abraham to be a blessing to all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Christians, let me ask you this. Has God been faithful? Has God been generous? Has God fulfilled His promises? With that in mind, I want you guys to do something. I want you to turn... And if your spouse is in the room or someone that you're in a relationship with, I want you to look at them eye to eye. If you have a child in the room, feel free to pick one of your children and look at them eye to eye. Siblings, okay, I want you to look at each other eye to eye. Okay, everybody do that right now. That should cover most of us in the room. Okay, everybody's got someone? Church, this is the person the Almighty God has chosen to demonstrate His grace and faithfulness in your life. You are looking at the face of God's grace. God has chosen this person for you but you have to choose to embrace these relationships and God's good purposes in them. Okay, you guys can stop staring at each other. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Each character in this story had a choice to make. God was sovereignly at work, but He also allows us to choose. Abraham, he had to choose whether he would do the easy thing and find a Canaanite wife for his son. Or would he trust the Lord to provide a wife out of the member of his family? That took great faith. The servant, he had to choose whether he would do the easy thing and, and, uh, and just go and talk to the family members. Or would he trust truly that the angel of the Lord would go before him and would prepare the way? Rebecca's family had to choose to give up their daughter to marry a man they had never met and they would possibly never see. Rebecca had to choose to step out in faith and go and marry a man she never met. Isaac had to choose to embrace the wife that the Lord chose for him. See, as we enter into this series on reconciliation, and we're going to get really specific and talk about specific relational conflicts that happen, I just wanted to start us off, and I want you guys and I need you guys to believe that God has placed people in your life in the midst of your mess. And it is those people that God is using to sanctify you and to teach you about His grace and His goodness. He wants to provide for you. But you have to choose to embrace these relationships. God is faithfully and powerfully at work right now accomplishing His good and perfect will, especially when we cannot see how things are going to work out. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is powerfully at work? Then let's look forward to this next eight weeks as we open up God's Word and we believe that just as He spoke to Abraham 4,000 years ago, and then He spoke to the nation of Israel, and then He spoke to Mary, today He is continuing to speak to us. Now, how can we trust this God? And when you think about all that's going on in your life, you think about the conflicts that are going on, how can we trust that he has a good purpose inside of this? Because he demonstrated his love for us, didn't he? He demonstrated that he's sovereign and that he's in control and that he has a purpose in conflict. We were once all at conflict with God, but he reconciled it through the blood of Jesus I pray as you come and you receive communion and you do it with the people that you may possibly be in conflict with, I pray that you will see God's good purposes and that your heart would be softened to those. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for this amazing story that you had Moses record that happened so many years ago. Thank you for uh, the relational dynamics that we can learn in the story. But more than all of those things, Thank you that you had this good and perfect plan to bless the world through Jesus Christ. Because Isaac was single, your promise could not be fulfilled, and so you chose Rebekah. And it's through Rebekah that you will bring Jacob and Esau, and it's through uh, Jacob that you will bring about Joseph, and it's through Judah that you're going to bring about this whole nation that will find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And then Moses will rescue them, and you will bring your law to them, and you will come and you will be with them that they will still not be a blessing to the world. They will still be so sinful that it will take you coming yourself, a seed of Abraham, a seed of Rebekah, a seed of Jacob, a seed of Judas. You will come and you will pay the ultimate price for thousands, tens of thousands of years of sin. And because you are sinless, You will die as an ultimate sacrifice because you are God. That sacrifice will atone for all of humanity, past, present, and future. That is the good news of the gospel. Thank you for that, Father. As we look on your generosity through Jesus Christ and we see the ultimate display of that, may that also soften our hearts to your generosity day by day and the people that you place in our life. We ask that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.